Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. So I want you to give Pastor Pimic a warm Bethel welcome as he comes and brings God's word. Good morning. So good to be here. So good to see you. Uh, before I get to the word, oh, thank you for my chair. We're going to... I'm not that old, but uh, we're going to use it in a moment. A uh, couple of formalities I need to deal, deal with. Like uh, before I preach the word, I need to take you to the small print. First of all, uh, I need to teach you how to say my name. My name is Przemek. Can you? Oh, that's, that's, that's not good. So the, the first sound of my name is like opening a can of Coke. Now, you're making a Sprite sound. That's a different sound. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. It doesn't matter what can you open. Next time you open it, pray for Poland. Pray for us. You're hooked. Uh, the second thing I need to deal with is the fact that I do not speak your language. I don't speak English. I just know a few words. I use them randomly. And I just hope they're going to come out making any sense. I think I've just said a joke because some of you laughed. Uh, <laughs> That's okay, so if I offend you uh, or say something not, that, that you will not understand, it's because I do not speak your language. So that's clear. So um, uh, over 500 days ago, uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. And we've been, as our church, Christ the King in Kraków, Poland, we've been privileged to, to be on the spearhead of uh, our global family efforts to help those displaced people. So... You all, I mean, Bethel was one of the first uh, churches to step in, in a, in a very uh, generous way, but all of us around the globe, we gathered and we channeled over one million of dollars of help. Uh, that, I think that is the reason to celebrate. That translates into over 150 tons of supplies. And that money plus, uh, plus those uh, tons combined with our crazy leaders in Ukraine, a bunch of crazy drivers from Poland and Ukraine meant that every person getting a bag of supplies was also exposed to prayer, uh, gospel. And this is a really f fertile moment for the gospel preaching in the midst of the darkness. We have just planted a church north of Kiev. That's where the invasion started. And just think about this, what was supposed to be in the plans of the enemy, the seedbed of death, now is a seedbed of life. So first service, we had 30 newcomers, next week 130, that church is already growing. So you're, you're part of that. Thank you. And let's, let's continue to, uh, to advance God's kingdom. And as I've been thinking, how can I bless you uh, today with the word? Uh, I couldn't stop thinking about one of my friends in Ukraine. Uh, he's one of our pastors. His name is Sasha Borisov. Sasha Borisov, some of you might know him. Is a, he's a big guy. His, uh, his hobby is uh, Ukrainian version of MMA, which they do with wooden knives. Uh, I think he was like second 
in the whole nation a few years ago. Crazy guy. Uh, love him to bits. So when the war started, he uh, left the pulpit and he enlisted. And a friend of mine had a chance to talk to him uh, two months into the war. And he asked him, Sasha, uh, how do you deal with anger towards Russians in your heart? Are you angry with them? Do you hate them? And he said, listen, um, yes, I fight them. When there's a need, I kill uh, in order to protect my family and my home. But I'm aware that I might die any minute. So I don't want to have anger in my heart. I want to be ready for the next kingdom that, that is coming. And I thought that is really profound because it's not easy to deal with anger in your heart. And especially in stormy times like these, it's especially difficult. And you don't have war here, but uh, uh, you've got tensions here in your nation. Uh, so there's many reasons to be angry. So I thought, let's, let's go to the really uh, classical text about that. Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 5. And I want to take you there and see. I think this, this text might hold a few surprises that you were not, not aware of. So uh, if you can go and read Matthew 5, I think we've got verses 20, uh, 21 to 26. And the text goes like this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Father, thank you so much for your word. And you know, this, this word is, uh, is part of a bigger collection of sayings of Jesus that ends in uh, chapter 7 with Jesus, say, with Jesus saying, if you follow those instructions, your life will be like a house planted on a rock. Storms will come, but your life will stand. It might be shaken, yes. Might be get wet, yes, but it will stand. So, so talking about anger in the stormy times, I think there's something in this text that might be useful to us today. So I want to take us through three points. Uh, first, I want to ask an important question. You're going to hear what the question is. Secondly, I want to try to uh, address a really outrageous statement that Jesus makes in this, in this text. And finally, I want to take you along what I follow, uh, a scarlet thread to a solution that I think is going to be a blessing to you. So the question is, let me start with, with that. Uh, is it fair to forbid somebody to be angry? When you feel angry, when you hear the word anger, what is anger? You would probably respond, that's an emotion, right? That's how we think about anger. And emotions, what? They, they come and go. And just good luck with you making a decision, I'm going to stop feeling emotions. You can try right now. You just failed. <laughs> You're feeling something. Uh, so it's like, why is Jesus 
saying something that would suggest that it's wrong to feel that emotion. And I think that the solution is actually later in the text where, it, where Jesus is commenting on the next commandment from the Ten Commandments. And he says that if you, if you last in your heart, now again, when I say heart, I don't mean that muscle. When we in our culture say heart, what do we mean? The heart is the seat of our emotions, again. But in that culture, it was not so. It was the seat of your will. This is where you make decisions. So you would say, if you, if you last in your heart, that would be in our, in our culture, then you commit adultery. If you're angry in your mind, you made a decision, then you committed murder. So the illustration that helped me years ago, somebody told me that emotions are like a dashboard in a car. I'm driving a car right now, it's not mine, and there's an there's a engine light all the time. And owner said, don't worry. <laughs> I trust him. But imagine you going down interstate and suddenly the engine light goes on or uh, red light of, on fuel. I mean, you would stop, take out the hammer and smash the light and say, yo-ho, fixed. Now, that would be silly, right? We don't do that. You uh, open the hood, you look underneath, because that light is only information about something else going on down there. So you need to look down there or talk to somebody who knows what's down there. Uh, don't break the plastic. But I wish it was that simple, like in the car, that you just open the hood and like, yeah, oil, fixed. Uh, years ago, about 15 years ago, I, I'm so happy my wife is not here because I had a problem with anger. And she would tell you stories that I'm glad you will not hear so you can still respect me. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but uh, there was a moment 15 years ago, I was just exhausted. I was exhausted of, of being angry all the time. And because of the conversations, I went on a quest to find out how this thing works. On the quest, and uh, <clears throat> it turned out that in my case, anger was just a masked emotion to cover unprocessed grief underneath. And in my pastoral experience, this is a case for quite a few men. So it is complicated. It means that when the emotion lights up in your mind or in your heart, wherever it is, it's, it's a dashboard, we can't always trust that information. It's more complex. So... Because I don't want to make this sermon a psychological seminary, because I'm not qualified, let me just give you a couple of recommendations that I've learned are very helpful in, with dealing with our emotions. First is the book of Psalms. Psalms saved my prayer life, because Psalms are like uncensored flow of emotions. It's raw. If somebody were to write music to those Psalms, it would probably blues. My mama doesn't love me. My dog hates me. It's like that, that kind of song. Or country. We're in Nashville. Uh, that would be probably good music to a lot of songs. But here's, here's, here's the cool thing. Songs very often use this trick. It's a divine trick. And the trick is B-U-T. Yes, it often starts, my life is awful. My enemies hate me. Father, where are you? Did you forget about me? I'm here. How longer? But then 
you pray and pray and go to but I remember but you're faithful you don't ignore your emotions emotions are like a stubborn postman you ignore them they're gonna live in your, co- in, in, in your, in your back room in your garage and pop in the most unexpected, unexpected moments so don't ignore them but don't trust them neither so what shall we do? <laughs> so the next recommendation is uh, spiritual family. You can't do it alone. You need a brother, you need a sister, you need a friend who can bear your emotions with you and kind of like empowered by the Holy Spirit, gospel you through Jesus back to your father, <laughs> if you will. It's very difficult to do it alone. So that's the question. Emotions are not sinful in themselves. God gave us those emotions. So there's a bigger problem. What is it? So Jesus makes this outrageous claim here in this text. He says that, seems like he's saying that if you're angry with your brother, it's pretty much the same in his eyes as somebody else taking somebody else's life, literally, murdering them. I'm like, wait a second. Is that right? If I am angry with you, Pastor James, then you, God, see me the same as that guy I saw on TV who was a serial killer? What? That doesn't make no sense. Right? Is that how you say it here? <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. So let me, let me give you a, an illustration and a story to maybe at least crack the door open so you would consider, consider that this claim is not as outrageous as it, as it seems at the, at the first glance. So somebody gave me that illustration. Think about emotion as an acorn. It's tiny. But it already has all the DNA necessary, given the right conditions and time, to grow into a big oak. All the information the full potential to grow into this is here. A tiny little thing. It can grow into that. It's easier to deal with this than chopping this thing down. One hour drive away from my city, which is Krakow, uh, there's a place that you don't know. It's called Oświęcim, but in the war times, uh, Nazis placed a death camp there. It was called Auschwitz. And there's a story about one of the survivors from Auschwitz. His name was Yehiel Dimur, a Jewish writer, a novelist. And he survived Auschwitz. And years later, 1953, I think, when Adolf Eichmann, who was responsible for the, what we know as Final Solution, the plan to remove all the Jewish people from the face of the earth, was captured by, by Jewish Israel intelligence, and he was being tried in Jerusalem. And Yehiel Dimur was one of the witnesses. And everything is on YouTube right now. You can see it. You can check that. I'm not lying. Uh, it was the first globally televised event, the trial of Adolf Eichmann. So uh, Yehiel Dimur is sitting, giving his testimony, and he looks at Adolf Eichmann sitting in a glass cage that protected him from the people in the room. And he's telling story after story, and suddenly he stands up. He stumbles and he falls down, losing his consciousness. People rush in, carry him out, 
And years later, he was uh, being hosted in a talk show titled 60 Minutes. And he was asked, what happened that day? Were you so afraid of your oppressor, Adolf Eichmann, that you just fainted? He said, yes, I was afraid, but I was not afraid of him. For years, I thought that Adolf Eichmann is like more than a human, like an angel of death, dealing death right and left with just a move of his finger. And then I was sitting there looking at him, and I realized he is just a man. He's a man like me. In that moment, I was afraid for myself because I realized Adolf Eichmann lives in each one of us. Now, if I came all the way from Poland giving you that statement, guys, I traveled across the Atlantic just to let you know that we as human beings have Adolf Eichmann in us. You would go like, right, go back to Poland. Uh, but if you hear that kind of sentence from a survivor of the Holocaust, it should at least make you think. Yes. It seems like, according to Eichmann, not to Eichmann, to uh, Yechel D. Moore and Jesus, all human beings have this thing inside of us, a condition, something in our nature, something is broken that makes a room, at least potentially, for that little acorn to grow into an oak. So, as the last point in this, in this, in this stage, um, let me, let us think, let's, let's make an experiment. Let's try to figure out the, the curve growth of an acorn when it comes to anger. How would it look like? Let's say you're angry. I'm angry with you, Pastor Dave. So, because I love you, I want to feel pain right now because I feel it, so I'm going to withdraw my love. But you, you're pretty healthy being so you don't feel pain. I'm like, okay, where can I go from there? Maybe I can be mean. Maybe I can sneak in a mean comment here and there, stab you, little needle. We, we all know how to do it, especially with those that we love, right? It's very easy. It's like a pin code. Ding, 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 ding. Safe opens. Uh, well, it doesn't work, so where, where can you go from there? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you can yell, intimidate them. Well, that didn't work. Where can you go from there? You can push them. Hit them. Well, once you're there, what's left? Taking their life. You see? It's not one million steps. It's really just five, six stages. It's not that long. So if it, is, if it is not an emotion, what is it then? And I think that Jesus left us a clue in this text. This text is very interesting. Jesus uses a lot of repetition here. He talks about brother, one, brother, two, three. I've got four brothers. And I was looking at this text and I figured, this is interesting. We've got brothers, we've got anger, we've got murder, we've got sacrifice in this text. Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. Do you know any other text that has in its story brothers, anger, sacrifice, and murder? Yeah, you're on it. Genesis chapter 4, the story about Cain and Abel. I think Jesus wants us to think of that story in order to understand what is he talking about regarding anger. So let's take a look at that story for a moment. 
And I want to point out two things in this story. If you don't know the Bible, it's basically two brothers bringing their sacrifice to God, and God accepts Abel's sacrifice, and he rejects Cain's sacrifice, and Cain is angry, like really angry. And God is talking to him, why are you angry? You know, the sin is crouching. Oh, there's the word, sin. (laughs) Crouching at your door, ready to devour you. And then, I've never noticed that before, but... So he's talking to him, and the verse 8, Cain, Cain is spoken not to God, but to Abel. And he says, hey, let's go to the field. And you know what's happening in the field. He already had a plan to kill him. Like, why, why is he angry with his brother? He should be angry with God. It is God who didn't receive his sacrifice. Why is he taking it out on his brother? Somehow in his twisted mind... Cain connected the dots and somehow he figured my brother is an obstacle between me and God to getting my blessing. So he is not a brother anymore. He's just an object. He's just a thing between me and what I desire. So instead of treating him like a brother, I'm going to treat him like an object. Isn't that what we are doing very often as human beings? We are angry because we expected something happened through somebody. It's not. It's blocking our way. Instead of treating another person like a human being, you're like, go away. You're on my way to my blessing. You're just an object. You're just a thing. So if I wanted to define anger for the purpose of this message, here's, here's my attempt. You might like it, you might not. But I think what Jesus is talking about is not an emotion, it is an attitude. It's a decision to treat another human being as an object, obstacle to get to your goal, to your blessing, to what you desire, to approval, victory, happiness that you really want in your heart. But there's a flip side to that. Because if we are angry with people when we don't get what we want, it also means that we put on people unrealistic expectations. Cain's problem was with God, not with Abel. And we take it out on people where we should take it to God. It sounds amazing as a part of a sermon. It sounds different when Russians invade your home. Very different. So we do that. We put expectation on people, people groups, institutions, governments, presidents, people who support them. And then if we don't like them, if we are disappointed, we treat them as an object. Well, I'm not trying to say don't disagree with anybody, don't disagree with anything. I'm saying if that takes you to a place where you feel righteous in your mind to treat them as an object, to call them a fool, oh, we know, how, we know better as Christians. How on Facebook not to call anybody a fool, but you can call somebody a fool without calling them a fool. And we think that God is blind. He's not.
We don't yell at people, be mean, call them fools. It's wrong. And maybe Holy Spirit, I don't know, maybe he's convicting you right now. He's good. He's merciful. Repent, turn away. Ask him for his help, for his Holy Spirit. Find somebody you can talk to, to open up and be cleansed and healed from the thing in your heart. Second observation is in verse... In verse 10, in that story about Cain and Abel, God is telling after murder that Abel's blood is calling. He's saying something. It's voicing something. I'm just, it's not here. The text doesn't say what. But I think we can speculate a little bit. It's going to be a sanctified speculation. I imagine that blood was crying complaint. Maybe demand for justice. He took my life. What are you going to do about it, God? Now that we know, because I think it's a really important clue, now that we know that Jesus is sending us to Genesis to find the scarlet thread, we can try to trace it. And as we go forward in our Bibles, we find another step of that thread in Hebrews chapter 12. And here's what it says there. It says about Jesus that he's the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In what way is it better? It's a new covenant. Covenant is a way of relating to God. In the Old Testament, you disobey, you're cursed. You obey, you're blessed. What's the new covenant? The new covenant is come as you are. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to bless you. I think if that word could, if that blood would say something, it would be exactly the same words as Jesus whispered with his last breath, extended on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what, are they, what they are doing. It speaks a better word. Which leads us really close to the end of the scarlet thread. Let's take a word's of Jesus in the verse 25 in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be, we'll be landing uh, really soon. It says something about getting reconciled to our brother, and then accuser, and then a judge. And uh, we know that Jesus first came as a lamb, but then he's going to come as a judge. Now think about it. It's, not, it's, not, it's double scary, because we're talking about God who can see not only what we do, but what we think. He sees our internal decisions. He can see the internal videos in our mind. He sees what we are determined to do, but we don't have power or courage to do so. And he is able and willing not only judge oaks in our lives, but also judge acorns in our life. And he will do it when he comes back. And he will judge every bit of jealousy, prejudice, racism, bigotry. We are in our hearts. So it looks like the real obstacle is not between us and other people. It's between us and our God that should be dealt with. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus is not only second greater Abel, he's also the lamb, the sacrifice that was accepted. His blood removes all obstacles and gives us full access to God's throne, to the throne of grace, 
So when something is happening in our lives, we don't have to lash out on our brother and sister. We can come to him and expect justice, blessing from him, not from the people. It, only, it not only removes an obstacle, it gives us power to love them. Because we are loved in incredible way that makes no sense. Is there any hope for us? Yes, because of what Jesus did. And I need to finish with this one, one little verse. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to start the scarlet thread in Genesis and end in Revelation? Let's do that, shall we? Okay, let's go to uh, Revelation 5, verse 9. We've got a song that strange beings in heaven are singing, and they're singing these words, worthy are you, singing to the land, to Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. See, that blood works on not only for you individually. His blood unites all bloods and makes us all, regardless of our ethnicity, education, one blood. If this is true, you know what it means? That this thing here is not just a thing you do once a week. This is a prelude to eternity. Spending time with brothers and sisters, with spiritual family, this is what we are called to do. If this is true, and I believe it from the depth of my heart, it is. Let me pray for all of us. Father, first I want to pray for all of, all of those present in the room that maybe they didn't make that decision to come close through your blood. They know religion, but they don't know you personally. Please give them courage to talk to somebody today and ask them to lead, lead them to you. Secondly, I pray for all of, that, all of us who struggle with lack of forgiveness, anger, frustration in our hearts. Heal us. Lead us to somebody that we, we can open in front of. And finally, Father, thank you so much for calling us to your mission to reach all the nations, all the people, blood, all the people, peoples in the world that you ransomed by your blood. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise God.